Good morning to my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, aka K.H. Majek, and I've been going through, as I sometimes do, some of my older essays, and I wanted I wanted to record uh, one of them, which I wrote back in in June of 2021. And at that time, I got some pushback from people for writing essays, you know, oh, they're too long, they're too long, what you're writing. And um, I I had some great comments from people. One of them was, um, you say it well, and speak from the heart. It's okay to write at length. Nobody gave Tolstoy or Dickens grief for that. Some of us don't think in small sound bites and condensed material to be phone friendly. I've just discovered your writing and I'm so glad I did. Speaks truth to me. I've been labeled too for speaking frankly. Thank you. Looking forward to more. So this was back when um, I really uh, was just beginning to write and and get some uh, followers and subscribers. And I kept doing it. I kept writing my essays because that's what I believed that I should be doing. So I thought that I would record this one because what we see happening now with, uh, you know, th- this recent, well, just yesterday, the CDC and this vote to put uh, the these gene therapies, experimental gene therapy vaccine, the COVID vaccine, onto the schedule for children to be required to have them to attend public schools. This is horrific, but we have seen this coming. This this agenda is marching forward. And I don't think we are able really to stop it, but we must do what we can to combat it in every way possible and to protect our children. So this is an essay that I wrote about that. And it's called The War for Children's Minds. They are forcing you to think the way they want you to think. And that's said by North Korean defector Yeonmi Park on wokeness gone wrong in U.S. colleges. There was once a young man named Dan Eldon. Dan was a traveler, an artist, and an African. He grew up in Nairobi. He believed he could change the world. He wasn't interested in what academics could teach him. He started taking photos of the famines in Somalia. Even though he was in his early 20s, he became highly regarded for his photography. On July 12, 1993, Dan and three colleagues were called to a horrific bombing by UN forces of a house believed to belong to General Adid. The photographers began shooting the terrible scene. The crowd, already enraged by the deaths and mutilations of over hundreds, hundreds of people, turned on the journalists. They were stoned and beaten to death. As Dan's mother reflected, in a moment of horrific irony, Dan and his friends were murdered by the very people they were trying to help. Nowadays, Dan would have been accused of white savior syndrome, but he wasn't that. He was a human being who felt called to do what he could to show humanity's crimes against itself. He was a hero, and children should learn from him. How do we come to a place where we make snap judgments without content? Surely we should have learned to do better by now. My grandsons are all under the age of five. They are Flemish, Norwegian, Russian, Jordanian, Arab, English, and who knows what else. They look very white, 
At what point are their parents supposed to tell them that they and their ancestors, well, except for the Arab ones, are were oppressors of people of color? I have two granddaughters, so, um, same white, although what does that even mean, mother and different fathers. My son is white, his daughter is blonde and blue-eyed. The other father is Puerto Rican, but he was gone before my granddaughter was born. She has dark hair and brown eyes. We are united as one family. They are both equally my granddaughters. Will they be divided in school? The younger, white one told she and her race oppressed her older brown sister and her race? How are adults putting the weight of this madness upon our children's shoulders? Just like masks and vaxes, adults are using children as pawns for their agendas. It is unconscionable. We must refuse it. Once upon a time, there was no childhood. It's hard to imagine, but throughout most of history, childhood was not a cherished time of innocence. They were, in fact, not considered as any different from adults. In the Middle Ages, children were considered miniature adults. Mostly, children lived in the same rooms as the adults and slept in the same beds. All things were seen. Nothing was hidden. Children were born easily and died easily. They were a commodity to be bought and sold. They had no rights. It was the invention of the printing press and its subsequent development in relation to the dissemination of information in the 1600s that first brought about the idea of a separation between children and adults. Suddenly, information was available to all, but not everyone could read it. As literacy expanded, the question was raised, at what age should certain information be allowed? And so, the idea emerged that children should be protected from certain information. From there grew the concept of childhood innocence and that it needed to be protected. But it would take a long time for this idea to fully develop. The Industrial Revolution from around 1760 to 1840 was not a friend of childhood. Children were cheap labor to be exploited in the workforce. Education reflected this as a place where, as Lawrence Stone said, the penal and disciplinary aspects of school were seen by some largely as a system to break the will and to condition the child to routinize labor in the factory. We see remnants of this today. Children being forced to sit for long periods of time, eight hours a day, sometimes more. And not only that, but wearing horrible masks, impeding their ability to breathe. I taught for a time in China, and the discipline of the children was astounding. They listened and obeyed. There was little disturbance. When I asked what they do in their spare time, they had no spare time. They did homework. When I asked what they would do if they had spare time, they answered sleep. But now, at least, there is a common belief that children should be protected and that education is important. We like to think that the horrors of childhood before the last hundred years or so are a thing of the past. The concept of protecting children grew ever stronger in the 19th century. By the time de Maus wrote, the history of childhood is a nightmare from which we have only just begun to awaken. In 1974, we really thought we had awakened. Yet it was during the years that childhood was being created and nurtured that it was simultaneously being disassembled. In 1844, Samuel Morse sent a message by telegraph to a friend of his that said, What hath God wrought? 
As with the invention of the printing press, it's doubtful he realized the far-reaching implications this would have on childhood. Still, within his message is an acknowledgement to the mysteries that are beyond our understanding. Thoreau seemed to understand the implication. It is said that when he heard that two people on either side of the country could communicate with one another, his response was, but what do they have to say to each other? (laughs) Where once communication was personal, sitting on your porch in the evening, talking in a cafe, it became impersonal and global. Rather than ruminating on information over time, relaying information became immediate, endless amounts of it. With photos and videos, information became about conveying emotion rather than facts. Instantaneous impressions are flashed at us with the intent to make us feel things rather than think about them. The entire concept of reality has shifted. Some 120 years after Morse, my Marshall McLuhan would write this, When man lives in an electronic environment, his nature is transformed and his private identity is merged with the corporate whole. He becomes mass man. Mass man is a phenomenon of of electronic speed, not a physical quantity. Mass man was first noticed as a phenomenon in the age of radio, but he had come into existence unnoticed with the electronic telegraph. As information became more accessible, we lost our individuality in the quagmire of the ether. With the latest fad, the latest viral tweet, we are all swayed this way and that. The natural outcome of this loss of individuality is that the state became an ever more trusted benevolent force. Without even realizing it, parents have steadily given Parents have been steadily giving up control of their children to the state over the past 50 years or so. In many ways, this has been a lazy decision that we are only now, since the start of the pandemic, waking up to regret. I know many parents have said how they used to not really pay attention to politics. They didn't know who was in their local government or on the school board. They were too busy. It was too difficult to absorb all that information when they had other, more pressing matters to attend to no longer. Parents are beginning to understand there is a battle for the minds of our children. The state, in conjunction with massive corporations and big pharma, wants complete control of molding young minds. To many parents, this is okay. They believe the state is benevolent. They believe that mainstream news outlets are, they believe what mainstream news outlets are telling them. After all, they argue, If a surgeon is an expert in brain surgery, you would trust that expert to operate. Why wouldn't the same be true of all the psychological experts who have sprung up telling us what is best for our children? Other parents are pushing back against the concept that experts know better than they do when it comes to teaching their children. Critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, and transgender studies are some of the ideologies parents are taking issue with. When my sons were in elementary school in the early 200s, 2000s, they attended Woodland Hills Elementary School in Los Angeles County. Parents moved to this area in order for their children to attend this school. It had the highest test scores and rave reviews, but all was not as rosy as it appeared. The principal, Anna Fagg, ruled with an iron fist, 
Fig was a tiny woman with flaming red hair who loved wearing leopard prints. She claimed to fight like a mama bear for her kids, which most often meant fighting against the parents. Fig's real goal, above all else, was to maintain the school's position as number one in test scores in the district. Now, I'm not against test scores necessarily. What I am against is adults forcing agendas on children that promote their own goals above the well-being of the children they are supposed to represent. The responsibility of maintaining the highest test scores in the district put a terrible pressure on the teachers who needed to satisfy the ambitions of the principal. Children who did not do well on standardized tests were discriminated against. As a result, dissatisfaction grew amongst parents whose children didn't fit the mold. In 2006, it became so bad, Los Angeles Times writer Bob Sipchin wrote an article about it. The article starts like this. Needy Lifshitz tells the story of her unfortunate introduction to the Los Angeles Unified School District like this. She answered her cell phone on her daughter's first day of school and was greeted by a scream, This is the worst behaved child I've ever encountered in my life. Only later did the caller identify herself as Wooden Hills Elementary School Principal Anna Fig. Lifshitz says, The kindergartner, Fig told her, had crawled under a table and refused to come out. It seems her teacher, new to the job, had called the principal for help and Fig hauled the child into the office. The little girl spent three of the, four, of the next four days outside the principal's office, once, Lifshitz swears, for refusing to use the correct crayon color. In later meetings, the mother said Fig shouted at their child, shouted that their child was not welcome at her school unless she started taking Ritalin, an allegation the principal denies. End of quote from the article. The atmosphere of the school became one where, where parents and children felt almost terrorized by the system. Parents were yelled at. One parent told of how Fig slammed the gate in her face, barely missing her as she jumped backwards. Parents took to demonstrating outside the school. But it was the parents who, if they complained, were accused of not understanding boundaries by the school system. I've written more about this in my piece, Trouble in Paradise, Raising Sons as a Single Mother on the Violent Streets of American Suburbia. And I will publish that at some point. Uh, I haven't yet. Well, I did once on Substack, and then I've taken it off because I want to go through it more further before I actually publish it again. The system and those who fed off of it looked down their noses at parents as ignorant fools when it came to their children. This attitude has only gotten worse. Now, with parents wanting their children back in school, multiple videos have emerged of teachers mocking parents, such as this one complaining that parents want their babysitters back. For all these years, it has been, it has been the rare parent who stood up and fought against the system. No more. Now, parents are finally learning to fight for our children. Whereas in the past, parents meekly acquiesced to the state, we now rebut their, their declarations that they know what is best for our children. We have watched the state reduce our children down to statistics. We are tired of being told, but the experts say... The experts have put labels on their children at such young ages, and this seemed to be okay. You can go online and see if your child fits any of the CDC's labels. You're sure to find plenty since which, which, one, of us, which one of us is without anxiety or depression, for example. 
Check out the CDC's list of children's mental disorders. It's frightening. Here's just a few of them. Anxiety, depression, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Tourette syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, the list goes on. Not to mention developmental disabilities, autism, and risk factors like substance use and self-harm. A mammoth industry has been built around these disorders. Thousands upon thousands of experts earn a very good living off of our children's disorders. That is not to say that children do not suffer from these problems. But has it gotten better since we started obsessively pointing out to children how screwed up they are? I think not. And now, look at what the experts are telling us we must do. We must adhere to critical race theory, a curriculum that puts the burden of guilt on our children for the color of their skin. Critical race theory is the new fad at the expense of critical thinking. I don't know any parent who wouldn't agree to the value of teaching their kids about the history of racism in this country. I also don't know any parent who thinks their child should be made to feel the weight of responsibility for that racism upon their own shoulders. Nor should other children be made to feel as if they are oppressed because their ancestors have been so treated. This is disturbing, to say the least. Going back to the history of childhood again, we have gone from no childhood to the attempt at making childhood something innocent and sacred by protecting them from certain types of information until they reached certain ages, to now taking their childhood away again by telling them they have lifelong disorders from which they will never recover, only mask with medication, and they are no longer innocent, but they carry the sins of their forefathers upon their shoulders. The backlash against CRT has not been welcomed by the establishment. Obama criticizes parents who are upset by kids being taught a divisive ideology that creates two classes, that of the oppressor, whites, and the oppressed blacks. If you dare to disagree with Obama, you are a racist, which you are anyway if you are white. Right-wing media like Fox News is stoking the fear and resentment of a white population that is witnessing a changing America. Changing into what? Critical race theory is defined as a school of thought meant to emphasize the effect of race on one's social standing. It arose as a challenge to the idea that in the two decades since the civil rights movement and associated legislation, racial inequality had been solved and affirmative action was no longer necessary. It puts all the emphasis on race, who you are on the outside instead of who you are on the inside. There is a huge backlash against this, and it isn't just parents. John McWhorter, a black linguistics professor at Columbia University, says that parents who truly believe themselves to be anti-racist need to yank their kids out of schools that implement critical race theory into their curriculums. McWhorter praised a teacher who quit in protest over CRT in a tweet, all hail Dana Stangle-Plow, who has resigned from the Dwight Englewood School, which teaches students anti-racism that sees life as nothing but abuse of power and teaches that cringing hostile groups, group identity against oppression is the essence of a self. Truly anti-racist parents in the name of love of their kids should pull them from the Dwight Engel School as of next fall. This is the only thing that will arrest these misguided elect parishioners from their quest to forge a new reality for us all. 
In school meetings across the country, teachers, parents, and students are speaking out. Zivan Fleet, who fled China at the age of 26 before settling in the United States, made headlines after she slammed CRT at a Loudoun County School Board meeting on Wednesday, saying it had striking similarities to theories pushed by communists in her native country. And I quote her, CRT, CRT trains children to be social justice warriors and to loathe their country and their history. It is indeed the American version of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Van Etienne, who teaches in neighboring Fairfax County, Virginia, also spoke at the meeting in Loudoun County. Parents, the longer that you wait and don't have your child's school accountable gives these guys more time to dictate what's best for your child's physical, mental, and emotional health. Regardless of what Obama says, as if he is the be-all and end-all of racism, ironic, since he is a black man, since he as a black man was elected twice as president, even though blacks make up only about 13% of the nation, which must have meant a whole lot of whites voted for him, Parents have the right to object to their children being indoctrinated with Marxist ideology. Forget critical race theory. Let's teach critical thinking. Let's stop the hypocrisy. While our schools indoctrinate our children with CRT, BLM, the eminent end of the world due to climate change and dirty energy and the joys of transsexuality, they hide the real problems that would expose the corruption of government in collusion with massive corporations like Google, Facebook, Amazon, and the Bill Gates empire. In 1814, legislation was introduced in England to make stealing children an offense punishable by the courts. We have progressed so far beyond that, right? Wrong. How about child labor? It must be better now than it was in the 1800s. Wrong again. In our world right now, 27% of trafficking victims are children. Many of those children are brought across our borders, as we have seen in an escalation since Biden's disastrous border policies, or shall we say non-policies, were implemented. Children are four times more likely to be trafficked for labor than for sex. 66% of child trafficking victims are girls. There are an estimated 168 million child laborers around the world. Small family-owned businesses have been eaten up by mega corporations that use child labor. Within the United States, this is a $32 billion a year industry and rising. How about child labor in relation to green energy? Here is a video that exposes the complexities of green energy, showing the hell from which our cell phones come. More than half of the world's cobalt is mined in the Congo, and it's children who do the mining. Maybe children should discuss this in class. How for every good that our government claims, there is also evil. At what point do we make compromises? Are our cell phones worth the lives of these children? As long as we use our cell phones, do we have the right to talk about clean energy? Children should lis listen to AOC and other statements about the merits of clean energy as they stand there holding their cell phones. Yes, of course we need solutions, but if we only feed children propaganda from one side, for example, demonizing all the fossil fuel companies while elevating clean energy to some kind of saintly status, we are infecting our children's minds with lies instead of nurturing their natural, free-thinking inquisitiveness. Why not teach children the truth about drug companies? How we got to the point of allowing Big Pharma to control our lives? 
how those who make money off of our illnesses don't really want to cure us, but rather to control us, how it is in their best interest to perpetuate the problems or they will lose their consumer base. Students should learn about the history of drug use and talk about their own experiences because this is a huge issue among young people. If we want to teach our children about inequities and injustice, why not have them talk about the real truth that all humans do this to one another regardless of skin color? Have a woman who has lived under Sharia law come and talk to the class about what it's really like for women in every single Arab nation. I lived for two, well now now three years in Luxor, Egypt, and I never saw a single white man in charge of anything. Yet as a woman, I have not lived in a more oppressive place. This idea of white oppression is so small-minded, so obviously a con used to weaken our connection to one another. It does absolutely nothing to create unity, nor does it make children feel better about themselves, except at the expense of others. That's what bullies do. Put someone else down so you can elevate yourself. Maybe talk about the pros and cons of capitalism and socialism. Look at the real history of both. What does it mean to live in a democracy? Maybe it isn't perfect, but it is the best we've got. Read the real-life stories of those who lived under communism. Talk about our bad wars, like the Vietnam War. Bush lying about weapons of mass destruction. Yet he is now treated like a grandfatherly figure. Why is that? Why do we have such a strong alliance with Israel? Maybe Israel isn't perfect. But what would happen in the Middle East if it wasn't there? I mean, really, think about it. Talk about racism and its history. Is it the same now in the United States, or is it better? It is most certainly better. Are are whites oppressors due to the color of their skin? What makes one person or group of persons oppress another? Reader tells stories of what African tribes have done and continue to do to one another. Talk about the Boko Haram massacres in Nigeria. Talk about the Rwandan genocide that took place between 7th of April and the 15th of July, 1994, during the Rwandan Civil War. Within 100 days, between 500,000 and 800,000 mainly Tutsi minority ethnic group were slaughtered. Estimates of the total death count are at 1,100,000. Why did one group kill another? Was it because they were white? Obviously not. Both tribes had the same skin color. They found other reasons to hate one another. We are flawed humans. If you are Christians, you would say we fall short of the glory of God. For reasons that perhaps it is too difficult for us to face, one group always wants to lord it over another. Once the oppressed overcomes the oppressor, they assume power and do the same. Can we ever eradicate this trait from humanity? Talk about what happened in Yugoslavia after Tito died and how the country broke apart. Old wounds resurfaced based on religion, just as we've seen happen between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. People who had been living in peace next to one another suddenly became enemies again. Talk about freedom of religion and how and how that is one of the most important rights of Americans, how so many came here to escape religious persecution. Talk about imperialism and how one nation invaded another, the British Empire, the good and bad they brought because there is both. The United States' involvement in Central and South America and how we brought the drug and gang plagues upon ourselves. Then talk about what is going on in the United States right now. 
how does our present situation compare to past atrocities or those currently committed in other countries? Any honest evaluation will reach the conclusion that we can all be thankful to be American no matter the flaws. We can be proud. We can be patriotic. But even to say that you are a patriot now is synonymous with being a racist. Recently, a New York Times editorial board member described her dismay at seeing, in some cases, just dozens of American flags, which, you know, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear. It was, this is my country. This is not your country. I own this. This is the real concern, her name was Gay added, because, you know, the Trump voters who are not going to get on board with democracy, they're a minority. You can marginalize them long term. How concerning is it knowing that mainstream media is intent on demonizing an entire group of people like this? Which brings one to Black Lives Matter and Antifa, talk about the brilliance of both names and the history of Antifa, which would be shocking for most. Andy Noe's informative book, Unmasked, gives an excellent account. Talk about BLM and how it became only about certain blacks, those killed by whites and in particular white police officers. Talk about black-on-black crime and white-on-white crime. Talk about the kids' own experiences with police. How could police do better in their own communities? What would happen if there were no police? Why do we need police in the first place? How are groups like BLM used to create division? How do you think they have created unity? Most often, ideas start in a good place. How do good ideas become corrupted? People gain power. Look at the leaders of BLM, how they lined their own pockets while black neighborhoods were destroyed by riots. BLM raised over $90 million at the time of this writing, yet the 10 BLM chapters have complained that, to the best of our knowledge, most chapters have received little or no financial support from BLM since the launch in 2013. Listen to the parents of those killed who had harsh words for BLM, saying they did not use the millions they raised to help their neighborhoods. Breonna Taylor's own mother, Tamika Palmer, called out Black Lives Matter Louisville and using the word fraud to describe the organization in a Facebook post last April. Samaria Rice, the mother of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was shot dead by Cleveland police as he played with a toy gun, accused BLM founders like Patrice Cullors of benefiting off the blood of our loved ones, and they won't even talk to us. How has all of this helped our country? Not much. Yet during the pandemic, when people were locked down and fearful, BLM and Antifa came out as saviors of the oppressed. Almost all my friends on social media immediately made their profiles black in solidarity. In solidarity with what? From one day to the next, most people had not ever most people had not ever had a thought in their heads about these groups. It was just the latest fad, and everyone was doing it. I didn't, and when I refused to say Black Lives Matter, as if I lived in some communist totalitarian state where I had to repeat propaganda or else, I was labeled as racist. Random people sitting in restaurants were attacked and told they had to say these words. Even if people thought it was wrong, they were now fearful to speak out. Now, everyone is silent as if those days never happened. But they did happen. BLM and Antifa are still around. BLM is moving into schools with its own curriculum. Should this be allowed? 
talk about the assault on the Capitol on January 6th and how Biden claims the January 6th Capitol riot was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Okay, why would he say that? Have someone whose family member died during 9-11 video chat with this, have someone whose family member died during 9-11 video chat with students about how Biden's statement makes them feel. Have two teams debate this issue. See what the students discover on their own. The end result of all this should be that children learn to think for themselves. They should be forewarned never to jump on a bandwagon, no matter how great it may seem. This is called critical thinking. Take a moment to consider that no government really wants its schools to teach critical thinking skills, especially not this government. They have an agenda of a new world order. The lockdowns, the wearing of masks, the perhaps soon-to-be vaccine mandates, all could well be simply a dress rehearsal for more draconian measures to come. A fourth wave is coming. A new pandemic, climate change, will be the next crisis. Right now, we are being given a reprieve. We are so thankful, a return to some semblance of normal. But really, we have no reason to suppose there will ever be a return to normal. They have statistics and experts to interpret everything for us. Free information is an illusion that can at any moment be shut down. Those of us who wish to do so can still complain against the government online. Yes, some are censored. But that is a small portion of us all. There are media outlets that have sprung up. Pundits such as Ben Shapiro, news stations such as Newsmax, who can give their viewers the news they seek. You can't say the right hasn't benefited from the pandemic as well. The pundits who speak to conservatives have become powerful voices in their own right. Sponsors have taken notice. We saw that in a hot mic moment when Ben Shapiro tells staff to cut pansexuality comments from a video, or I'll get boycotted. (laughs) Anyone remember that? (laughs) Children should learn about this too. They shouldn't just hear one side. They should hear the reality of what happens when a person starts to become successful, the hard choices and ways they justify compromises. If we are aware of this reality, we will not close ourselves off from listening to varying perspectives. If you send your children to a Christian school, it's because you want them to be taught those Christian values that are important to you, just as a Muslim would want the same. But it's also important not to gloss over the truths about what people have done in the name of Christianity or Islam down through history. Wouldn't it be great if Islamic and Christian schools became sister schools and held debates and had events together? And interestingly enough, the the conservative sides of both of these religions, the parents are coming together now against uh, what is being taught in the public schools. This is critical thinking, not critical race theory. It is being courageous enough to look at all sides of the argument and seek the truth, or at least as close to it as you can come. Is there then hope if we do this? First, we would have to do it. It's great to see parents rising up, but we have a lot of time to make up for when we were complacent. We must face the reality that we could be living on borrowed time. It isn't pleasant to know that at any moment, these massive corporations can shut us all down. They can at the drop of a hat silence every single dissenting voice. They can make it so that patriots and thus white supremacists are unable to go to a restaurant, attend a football 
game, even go to a market or buy food. They can take your children away from you because you are endangering society and your children by teaching them ideas contrary to the good of the state or by refusing to vaccinate them. As we now see, schools will be mandated across the country. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry, schools will now put it on the schedule that children will have to be vaccinated with the COVID vaccine in order to go to school. Do we really suppose things will get better? We the people still do have the power to vote change at a local level. We still have the power to take our children out of schools and start our own neighborhood learning centers modeling critical thinking. This is how schools should always have been. They should never have morphed into massive fenced institutions with thousands of children. This is unnatural. Children should be in small groups with individualized attention. They should be around grandparents and other adults, not forced to form cliques that become essentially gangs like on the prison yard. Meanwhile, let small children be children. Let them be innocent. Don't expose them to ideas about gender that they are not ready to think about. Let those things develop naturally. I would be equally offended if schools took it upon themselves to indoctrinate my daughter that her role in life was to get married, get pregnant, and be a good wife. This isn't what school is about. Maybe one day far in the future, just like in some science fiction stories, genders will be a thing of the past. Maybe one day the thought of a woman physically bearing a child will seem barbaric. Maybe the idea of actual sex will seem barbaric. Babies will be grown in dishes in a laboratory, and sex will only be performed online. Who can say? We only need to look to the past when many things that are now accepted as normal would have been thought of as witchcraft. It's hilarious to me now, but I wanted to be a clown when I was a teenager. I was very serious about it, 100% sure this was my calling. I made a clown outfit, practiced my juggling, even made my best friend wear a clown outfit, and we would walk, literally, yes, we did this, we would walk down to the grocery store to buy candy and books dressed like that. At age 16, I started filling in the application to Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Clown College, at which point I finally lost interest and moved on to something else. No child has the personal awareness to decide that they want to, for example, change from a girl into a boy any more than they can change into a horse or a bird, or any more than I could at one moment want to be a clown and the next moment lose interest in it. If my child declares they are a bird and insists on jumping out of a 15-story window, I am not going to agree and say, fly free, little bird, opening the window and helping her to climb onto the sill so she can exercise her rights and jump out, all for the sake of affirming her fragile mental health. No, I am going to lock the windows, even if she screams bloody murder. I am going to protect her from ideas that she does not yet understand. I am going to do my best to protect the wonderment of childhood for as long as possible, allowing her to dream while maintaining the boundaries of safety. All else is not only an absurdity, but it is child abuse. When we add the additional weight onto the shoulders of a child that they suffer from myriad mental illnesses and are either an oppressor or they are the oppressed, this is beyond child abuse. This is what really damages our children, not white supremacy. The state has a nefarious agenda to manipulate and indoctrinate children, using them as pawns in a game of power. We need to stand up and say no. It is not the school nor the state's responsibility to teach perversions of truth in order to frighten and control our children. It is up to schools to teach math, 
language, history, the basics. Leave the moral teachings to the parents. Most importantly, teach children to ask questions fearlessly, accepting people of all faiths, no matter their race or gender, no matter their outward appearance. I do love the Dune books by Frank Herbert. Science fiction has such a way of hitting us where it counts. Here's a quote. Liberal bigots are the ones who trouble me the most. I distrust the extremes. Scratch a conservative and you find someone who prefers the past over any future. Scratch a liberal and you find a closet aristocrat. It's true. Liberal governments always develop into aristocracies. The bureaucracies betray the true intent of people who form such governments. Right from the first, the little people who formed the governments, which promised to equalize the social burdens, found themselves suddenly in the hands of bureaucratic aristocracies. Of course, all bureaucracies follow this pattern. But what hypocrisy to find this even under a communized banner. Ah, well, if patterns teach me anything, it's that patterns are repeated. My oppressions, by and large, are no worse than any of the others, and at least I teach a new lesson. And that's Leto Atreides II, The Stolen Journals, God Emperor of Dune. Those who rule can always find ways to justify their new ideas. They promise to help the little people, but what they really want is to parade about as aristocrats and enjoy all the benefits thereof. As obedient consumers, we've been programmed to get excited by new ideas like BLM and Antifa, just like we are excited by a new cereal or the latest hairstyle. I'm hopeful we are waking up to the realization that more is at stake than merely following the new fad, and I'm hopeful that it isn't too late to turn the tide. Thank you for reading, (laughs) I say at the end of this essay. I know I am long-winded. So thank you for listening all the way to the end. Have a great day. God bless. And let's fight for our children.